0: I think God's wanting to challenge us all on some things because here is something that, listen, especially young people, as you get out from here and you go out into the world, you're going to be, con- you're going to be confronted with this. And this is what a lot of people, this is a very popular belief in our whole culture, and this is what it teaches. And, and it's something that, that I promise you God never said, and that is this, this cultural uh, belief that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you are sincere. Right? How dare you criticize anything that someone else believes? All right. I've got up there 2 Timothy 4.3, because Paul was talking to Timothy. These days are going to come. They were already happening, but in the latter times, it's going to get worse. And can I read it for you, all right? We got some other verses we're going to be bringing in here. And here's what he said is going to happen. He had charged Timothy. Oh, it was like a command that I give you uh, that he says, I want you. I want you to be preaching the word of God. Um, excuse me. I got the wrong page. There I am. Okay. So I want you to preach the word. Proclaim the truth from, from God. Okay. And I want you to be always ready to do this. I want you to be convincing and rebuking, exhorting, and be patient and hang in there and teach it. Then he says in verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. Doctrine means teaching, by the way. But it, According to their own lust or their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Literally, he's saying that they're going to gather to themselves teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's what happened in the world we live in. This sounds good. I like this. Now, this comes from all spectrums. You need to know that. From people that just believe all kinds of crazy stuff to even people who um, are in bondage under legalism and Old Testament law and stuff like that. I can remember there being times people coming up and saying, Well, man, I tell you, the kind of pre- Preaching, I like to. Hear, I like to just hear that hellfire, brimstone. Boy, I tell you, I love it. And I'm like, I'm really disturbed at you at this point because if you love hearing that, well, here's what the issue is: we begin to dial it down. Why do you feel that way? Well, because they were saved and they knew they were going to heaven. But I want them. I want those sinners, I want you to just, you know, I don't. I I, I don't like them. I want you to just. I want you to bash them really hard. I want them to just be beat down. And um, I understand that. And uh, we want to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. Uh, and there's times there's going to be some of that, you know. But uh, if that's what you enjoy, you enjoy. You enjoy thinking about God. You're like thumping somebody right off into hell, and that just like, boy, I love it. Uh, I, there's something wrong there. But I, I do know people that they just, that's, that's all they want to hear. Now, when we start preaching about how we're to treat our neighbor and how we're to not be gossiping, how we're to be honest and how we're to build one another up and things like they don't want to hear that. You know? Uh, so, this can go a lot of ways, you understand? I got my favorite things that I like to hear. So, that's not all I need to hear. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? So I'm just going to jump in this. As a pastor, it's my job to serve up the meals because my job is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, not to entertain, right? Okay, so equipping. Now you know like a coach tries to equip the team with the knowledge and the skills to go out and be successful right and so some of the drills and some things you got to do aren't very fun they're not very good and and the diet that you need to eat to be healthy so that you're equipped to to live life sometimes you got to eat some things that may not be your favorite now here's the deal if i only ate the food that i enjoy eating i promise you i would not be Very healthy. Now, I'm not doing as good a job as I should do because in the last day or so I've eaten a lot of stuff that I you know, later, like, Man, I don't know if I should have ate all that. But anyway, uh, if I keep doing that, I'm not going to be very healthy. And I try to be disciplined on that. But the thing about it is, is that there's some things that are good for us that you really need. Like, even your physical body, you really need it to be healthy, all right? To get the vitamins and the minerals and everything. Uh, and there's things that you and I like that are not very healthy. So if I'm going to serve up a balanced meal, there's going to be some things you're like, oh, boy, give me some more of that. That's good stuff. And there's going to be some other things you're like, boy, I don't like it, but I know I need it. All right, because let me assure you, it's the same thing, praying, preparing, and preaching this stuff. It's tough. There's times I beg God, please, let us go another direction. You tricked me, Lord, to getting into this series where I have to deal with this now or preaching through this book. I can't skip this verse, right? Yeah, okay, are you, are you, are you with me so far? I've got to move. You cost me about three minutes there. Uh, no, but I wanted to just say that it's not just, okay, here's what i want to say, that the tendency to do this kind of thing isn't just the weirdos out there believing weird stuff. It's even sometimes us. Wanting to gather to ourselves people to just say the things we want them to hear, we want to hear. right? So there's that, uh, but um, that's a thing that's a big cultural lie in our world that we live in today. Now, people want to believe that it, this is true, that it doesn't really matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere about it, that you know that all roads lead to heaven, right? You know, you can just, there's all these beliefs and all these religions, and, and, and you may not have been raised this way, but I promise you, this is what a majority of Americans now are thinking, that you just kind of have all the religions there in a pile, and you know what you should do is just pick the one that, that fits you best, the one that you like the best, and, and it's, you just follow that path because, you know, all, all, all roads lead to heaven, and how would a loving God not embrace just everybody who's sincere, and how could a loving God send people to a place like hell or anything like that? So that's what is popular today. And our culture is very much into all-inclusive, right? It's just like anything, you can believe anything, just about anything, as long as you're sincere about it. But I want to tell you, everything—you know, you can believe anything and everything, but you can't just believe one thing and say that it's the only thing. If you can believe everything, but if you just say, I believe in one thing, then you're some kind of bigot or you're intolerant or something like that. Okay, so that's the society in which we live. Um, that, uh, it, you know, just as long as you feel good about it, everything can't be true. I think most of us have enough gray matter that's firing properly to realize everything can't all be true at the same time. And there are some things that are true, whether you like it or not, or whether you even believe it or not, it's still true. I thought I could fly after watching Superman when I was a kid. And I even had like an old blanket tied around my neck. And I got on top of Granny and Gramps' fruit cellar and jumped off. And it didn't matter how much faith I had in my ability to fly. I hit the ground pretty hard that day, I want to tell you. And so, you know, things are true whether you believe in them or not. A uh, two plus two is four. Even if five is your favorite number and it just makes you feel comforted and safe to believe that it would be five, it's still four because that's what's true. So everything can't be true at the same time. So a lot of this is what I call is very popular today. It's about what feels right to us, what feels logical to us. To you're talking about our human mind, our 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 sin cursed fallen nature, right? And, and, and we want it to feel good to that and to make sense to that. It's what, what I call feel good theology. And there's a lot of that in the world today that, that just try to make people feel all good about everything, that it doesn't matter all of this and that as long. God knows who you're, our God is just so big. He just will embrace everything. Um, you hear that a lot, even especially at funerals. You'll see somebody, and they'll say so-and-so, you know, they weren't religious, or they didn't really, you know, have anything much to say about God and all of that. But I know they're in a better place now, right? They're at peace. They're in a better place. Y'all, Bible doesn't teach that, okay? Or that, well, you know... uh, Grandma is like my guardian angel now watching over me and, uh, and, and, and things like that. But I got to tell you that that's not what the, God said either, that that's not what the Bible says. And even though people really like to believe that, people don't turn into angels, okay? Angels are separate beings, right? And here's the thing that's going to happen is when you and I get to heaven, we're going to be like the angels are going to be like in awe of us because of, of us having a relationship with God that they don't have. You know that? Okay, well, anyway... Um, And so, but here's the thing, because a lot of times, you know, I think my Papa Lyle was a great influence in my life. There's some ways that he's still with me because his teachings and some of the things that he said and some of the lessons, some of the tricks he played on me, things like that. They're still with me, okay, in that way. And I know he's with the Lord and the Lord is with me. So it's like we do have a connection, but I want to promise you he's got better things to do today than to just hang out in some spirit form where I can't see him, but he's there. He's in the presence of God. Now, are they aware of some things going on here? Yeah, we know they're aware of some things because the Bible talks about there's rejoicing in heaven in the presence of the angel, and that's where the Bible teaches that our loved ones in Christ are. So they're aware of some things that are happening here. There's rejoicing over one sinner that repents. So when someone gets saved, there's actually a rejoicing and celebration going on in heaven. So they're aware of some things. But I don't think that grandma, I don't think granny, I don't think Meemaw is just like watching over me today. I think Jesus, I think God, I think in the person of the Holy Spirit is not only watching over me, I think he's living in me. Because I just got to tell you, there's at least three or four times every day that I kind of don't want Meemaw watching over me. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Come on. I think it would probably ruin heaven for them if they were watching over me. Oh, you are so pious. You guys are so perfect. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so... The Bible doesn't teach any of that, uh, but we like to believe that, that it's just like, you know, it's very interesting that you can talk about religious, people be very religious. Today, people can talk about being very spiritual, and all that's good, and they just talk about it, and there's no controversy. You can talk about God, no controversy. You can get up at the awards ceremony and say, well, I just want to thank God and, uh, you know, win like a championship. I just thank God. Uh, they talk on talk shows about God and about being spiritual and and religious and all of that. Even on the Today Show, I don't watch a lot of news. I like to generally know what's going on in the world. But I'm gonna tell you if you spend all day watching that stuff, you're gonna be you're gonna be going crazy. You're gonna be paranoid. You just it's just it's just oh man. But anyway I just happened to see that story. Um, uh, where that, uh, that uh, oh, man, I had his name. Gene is his last name. And uh, he hugged that uh, Amber Geiger girl that had killed his brother, you know, at the end of her sentencing and everything. He asked the judge permission twice to go and, and to give her a hug. You, you guys saw that. It's been all over social media and everything. And they were talking about forgiveness and just how that was. And it's like, even right there, they had their little God moment talking about it. One even said, you know, I, don't, I know not everybody believes this, but I could just, you could just feel the presence of God when you saw that. And I thought that was amazing. And it was just warm and fuzzy, and it was great. I thought, that's cool. Everybody's talking about God. But you can talk about God all you want. And it doesn't seem like it causes that bad of a problem. There's no controversy about being spiritual or religious. But there is one thing that changes the whole thing. There's one word that changes it all and brings in controversy, controversy and hostility. One name, and it's the name of Jesus. Have you noticed that? You can talk about being spiritual. You can talk about being religious all you want. But when you start, you can talk about God even. But when you start naming Jesus, all of a sudden things change. People get upset. There's just something about that name, right? Isn't that strange? Don't you? We're going somewhere, so stay with me here. Because, you know, the thing about it is, even among his detractors, there's no debating really his existence. I think we're smarter than that. Uh, even his detractors acknowledged that he lived. I mean, we have early writings from uh, the 2nd century, just decades really after Jesus uh, died and after the apostles, just within a few years after they faded from the scene. We have writings of, of early church leaders that have survived that, that, that we have. But not only that, we've got like people who lived during the time of Christ and then right after who were historians that weren't Christians at all. You've got Josephus. Uh, who was Jewish and and a Roman historian. You have Tacitus. You have Pliny the Younger. You have all these people who wrote and verified about Jesus' life and death that weren't even Christians. So there's evidence outside the Bible, inside the the Bible, that Jesus was a real person who really lived. So there's no controversy really about that. There's really no controversy about his teaching because his teaching... I mean, you look at Jesus' teaching, and he taught about helping others, right? He talked about loving even your enemies, doing good to those who do bad things to you. He talked about giving to the poor. He talked about, you know, being generous. He talked about forgiving other people. So there's really nothing, you know, people like like, they love his teachings. Are you with me here? Uh, so, So what is it? What is it that gets everybody so upset and hostile about Jesus? Well, it's that exclusive claim that Jesus made, not only being God in the flesh, but it's that exclusive claim. And let me just show you one place where you find it, John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, Father God, except through me. It's that exclusive claim, because Jesus didn't claim to be a truth or a way He claimed to be the truth, the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. That right there is what causes all of the hostility that we have. And this is what sets true Christianity the gospel. The word gospel means good news. All right? So, what is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the gospel. So I'll say gospel, sometimes I'll say true Christianity. Because a lot of things calling itself Christianity, that God never said that. They're nothing like what the Bible describes, okay? So you just can't go by that. But I would say this, true Christianity is different. You can't just lump all religions together in one pile, and they're kind of like, you pick one. They're all different paths to heaven. That's not true. There's one that's different. There's one that's totally different. You have world religions of all kinds. Because I've had people say that. You know, I talk to them and try to talk to them about the Lord. And they say, well, why should I come? And this is great questions. Why should I come to your church? Why your religion and not some other? Why your church and not some other? And things like that. Those are all very, very good questions that need to be answered. And too often, we're just, we shame people for asking questions like that. When we ought to welcome it. You know that? Well, you ought to believe. Now, They ought to ask the real questions and get real answers. And you know what? I feel like the church has failed in that in a lot of ways. Um, So here's what people do in life, and we all do this, myself included. You start out with something that you think, something that you may believe because you like to believe it or you've been taught it before by your parents or someone or it just seems logical or good to you. You start out with something you believe, whether it's some great universal truth or whether it's just even something about somebody and you believe this and what happens is your mind's focused on what you believe or think you believe and then you start going to try to find facts and evidence to support this and what we should do is look at the evidence and everything out there and see if it adds up to what we believe instead of having what we believe and just trying to find stuff to cram in there to make it make sense to support it because you can believe about anything you know, you can believe that there's a pink elephant flying around this building right now. And, and, and I'm sure that somehow you could come up with something to try to make it seem like it might be true to you. All right? So but what we want to do is we want to look at the real evidence. And I think when people do that, they at least have to say that the gospel, true Christianity, is unique. It's different than everything else that's in the world today. Um, but, you know, all religions have some beauty. And they have some bits of truth. Right? I mean, they do. Satan's, I mean, he's a counterfeiter, isn't he? Right? And we did a series on all the different world religions years ago on Wednesday nights. Like, take Buddhism, for example. Buddhism, they do not believe in a personal God at all. There's really no God. There are the four noble truths and the eightfold noble path. Uh, You focus on good works and things like that to escape the cycle of reincarnation and hopefully reach nirvana like a deliverance from pain and sorrow. But it's also the end of all self-existence. Yeah, and that's kind of what they have. And then there's Hinduism. I remember we are teaching on Hinduism, I said, hey folks, we live in Ozarks. We're not exposed to a lot of stuff like other places in the world. are exposed to a little bit of everything. So, you know... You might have a hard time relating to people from other places in the world because they're confronted with a lot of this stuff, and you're really not. We've been sheltered. Do you realize that? We really have. But I, you know, I asked. I said, "What's a Hindu?" And um, the answer is not, according to Wayne, cackle and lay eggs. That's not the type of Hindu that I'm talking about here. But uh, talking about Hinduism. Well, Hinduism, they believe in an impersonal deity. Our God approached by many, many, many different deities. So they believe in many deities, and they, they... they do not offer forgiveness or supernatural help. It's about karma and good works and trying to do good and advance and you know and all the lives and things like that. You have Islam. You have Muslims. They they do believe in a personal god named Allah, and they have a ban on any secondary gods or idols, and they focus on submission. But there's no personal relationship with this god, and everything depends on your devotion. And your once again, say it with me. Your good deeds are good works, and we've got all kinds of weird mystical beliefs that's popular today. A lot of Eastern religions combined together, and a lot of it we just call the New Age beliefs or New Age. They believe this New Age is going to dawn, you know, that they don't believe in a personal God. A lot of people are sucked into this. They talk about being very spiritual. Uh, And a lot of people are into this. They try to find their spirit guide, their spirit helper, their inner self, their center, their all of that energy and all of the positive whatever, vibes even. And uh, there's no personal God. They believe in a higher level of consciousness and that you go through this. And, you know, their hope is to someday become one with the cosmos, right? Become one with the cosmos or the oversoul of the universe, whatever it is, okay? And doing good works and Doing things like that, charitable deeds, will help all this, things like that. Positive thoughts, things of that nature. Then you have Christianity. We do believe in a personal God who revealed his love through his son, Jesus Christ. This God offers a personal relationship with him through the forgiveness of our sins. This God is perfect, this God is holy. All humanity, because we're given a free will, is sinful and imperfect. And that this God made possible this relationship... By himself paying for the price of forgiveness by sending his son and expressing his love. So our, our relationship with God is not based. This is one that's totally different. Everything else. Are you with me? It's totally different than everything else. Everything else is based on what you do, your good works. This is not based on your good works, but it's based on God's own goodness, grace, and mercy totally different. So you have all the religions of the world. You've heard me say this before that you remember the old song Rock of Ages part of that song says nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. I heard Dr. Barnhouse who was a preacher a couple generations ago in an old recording say all the religions of the world are basically something in my hand I bring. Something that I do. To earn whatever's the next level. And that's why this is different. Separate, unique from everything else. Because this is nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Alright, so let's just unwrap that a little bit as we think about this lie that our culture has. That it doesn't really matter what you believe. I want to tell you that what you believe matters right now, right here today today. And what you believe matters forever. Okay? I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to consider. And I would pray that God would help you to help those that you're in contact with that don't know what they believe or just believe anything or everything and think they're sincere. I want you to help them consider Jesus. Consider the gospel. I'm not asking people to consider like this church or me, or any particular like denomination, I want them to consider Jesus. All right? Because we're not here to make uh, people who are members of this local church. We're not here to make Baptists or anything like that out of people. We're here to simply be used by God to meet, to, to, to help people find Christ and to make disciples of Jesus. Right? We're not here to make followers of ourselves. We're here to help people all become followers of Jesus. Very simple. Uh, so that's what I want folks to consider. Because Jesus himself said right here that he's not the best way to heaven. He said he didn't say he was the best way. Some people say, there are many ways, but Jesus is the best way. No, he didn't say he was the best way. He said he was the what? The only way to heaven. And when Peter was preaching after being arrested by that same group of people that masterminded the crucifixion. Oh, oh, by the way, these were this group of people that the disciples were hiding from after Jesus was arrested, that when they were so scared, they come up and ask Simon Peter, he said, hey, weren't you with them? And he's like, I don't know him. Remember he did that three times? Yeah, and then the alarm went off, right? Yeah, the rooster crowed. You know, I had that on my, like, phone, like, as an alarm, when I have to use that, like, I thought that would be cute, like, ah. Hey, was that pretty good? Uh, you know, growing up on a farm, you know, I learned how to make all those are my best friends, you know, the roosters and cows and dogs, but anyway, um, and then I thought, you know, I don't know because uh that's the first thing he heard in the morning after he denied Christ three times, right? But this is that same guy. Look at the transformation that happens after the resurrection of Jesus. Think of the transformation that happens after God himself living in them, the Holy Spirit living in them. This is the same guy that, I don't know him, I don't know him. And and, and he's standing in front of these same people that masterminded the crucifixion, and he's preaching, and he says this in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name. Under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. There's that exclusive claim one more time. Because here's the thing. This difference between religion and true Christianity. Because religion focuses on what you do. And the gospel focuses on what Christ has done. And it's about a relationship. It's not about just duties that you perform. It's about you, yourself, having a personal dynamic, deep, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence. That's what we're talking about. And for the life of me, I can't understand why people don't get more excited about this. Why are there people out there lining up to do all kinds of crazy rituals and go through all kinds of ridiculous things, thinking it might earn them some kind of merit, and here we've got the gospel, and the God of the universe wants to have fellowship with us, and we're like, eh. No big deal. Uh, I'm tired. It's raining. What's the matter with us? Huh? Hey, by the way, there's another reason why we are participating in a reminder next week that we need to be reminded in a tangible, physical, tasteable way of the price that God had to pay to save your sorry self. Costs God a lot for us to be able to do this. You do this to remember my death, he says, as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. All the other religions have their focus on you and what you do. The gospel has its focus on God. Do you see a difference? Don't tell me they're all just the same. Pick whichever one you want. They're different. Christianity is about you acknowledging. There's nothing I can do. Religion is about what you do. Christianity is a you acknowledging. there. and You start off this way by acknowledging that you're lost, that I'm a sinner. There is nothing I can do to fix this. I have to rely and put my faith and my trust totally in what he has done. Thank God. Amen. Because I want people to consider this. They can't earn it. They can't deserve it. God's already paid for it. I want people to find forgiveness and grace. And understand what that is. When you understand that this God is so perfect and so holy that he can't look upon, he can't fellowship with sin. And the problem is the Bible says we're all sinners. So how's God just going to overlook and forgive our sin? Because you understand, when you sin against someone, you incur a debt against them. That's one of the ways forgiveness is presented in the Bible, that you trespass. You have a debt towards someone, a sin debt. You and I have a sin debt against God. It's a debt that we could never repay. In fact, the Bible's very clear. The only way that we ourselves can pay our own sin debt is to be separated from God forever in outer darkness. We use the term hell. Or you can accept the payment that God himself made in your behalf. And the only, when he sent his only begotten son, that Jesus came fully human but fully God at the same time. The only one qualified to bring a perfect God and sinful humanity together. He was the only one qualified because in the flesh, as a human, he lived a perfect life. And he was then qualified to take all of our sins. Being God, he's eternal. he he dwells outside of time he sees the first sin and the last sin will ever be committed all together because he sees all things he could take all of those sins and he could pay the price and take the wrath of God in other words you and I have a sin debt that we couldn't pay Jesus was the only one qualified and he came and he paid the debt on the cross in fact right before he died one of the last things he says is it is finished in the Greek it's the word tetelestai and it means finished but it's also a term used in accounting when a debt was paid off paid in full jesus paid it all and so what happens when you come by faith trusting him When you put your faith in what he did, God takes your sin debt and puts it on Jesus. And he paid it in full. And he takes the payment that Jesus made and deposits it in your account. Paid in full, you are forgiven. Thus, a perfect and holy God can forgive a guilty sinner and God still be perfect, holy, and just. Because the sin has been paid for by the only one qualified to do it. That's how it works. When you think about it deeply, it even begins to make a little logical sense to us. We now have the ability to be forgiven and receive grace, have a relationship with God that is deep and personal. We have the ability now to live a changed life, not just because we've got good teaching to guide us, but because the one who wrote this says, I'm not just giving you print on a page. I'm going to come inside you and I'm going to enable you to do what I say. That's a whole lot better than just words on a page. We've got the author in our hearts in our soul and our spirit, the Holy Spirit, to enable us. To have a changed life. We've got so much more. Now we're motivated because of his love for us. Because he proved his love forever. People may have been telling you, that, no, you know, that you're not lovable. You might feel like you're not loved. But I want to tell you. It doesn't matter how people have treated you. The creator of the universe, you might say, how could God love me and allow these things to happen to me? The fact of the matter is, is you live in a sin-cursed world and a sin-cursed body. And sin has done this. This is what sin has done. This is what separation of God causes. It causes abuse and neglect and problems. That's what it does. God, on the other hand, has set about to redeem us out of that. And God proved his love for you once and for all, no matter what anyone else has done or said to you. God proved it in time, on planet Earth, in the flesh, on the cross, where he suffered, and died. Remember how much does Jesus love you? He spread his arms this much, and they were nailed to the tree, and he died for you, okay? So you are loved. You have that. I want people to find that, and now I'm motivated to want to obey him. I'm motivated to want to do good because Of his mercy and grace. Not just out of guilt or out of duty or some religious rules. It's out of his presence in me and his grace. And so now, see all the credit of my salvation goes to Jesus, doesn't it? All the credit for my salvation because he paid it all. There was nothing that I could do to earn or deserve it. So when I say, welcome home, son. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit for it. Even the good works that come through my life. You're in our class on Wednesday night. We're studying John 15. That he's the vine, Jesus is, and we're the branches. We abide in him. That's connecting to him by faith, trusting him. And when we do that, see, a branch can't produce fruit. All a branch does is bear fruit. It's the vine that produces the fruit. And so as we stay connected to Jesus, he produces his his fruit through the sap that flows from the vine into the branches like the Holy Spirit Into our lives, he produces the fruit through our lives. So he says, this is the big point of our lives. We find out all through the Bible is to glorify God, that my life glorify God. And then right there in like verse 8, he says, this is how the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So it's all about Jesus. So all the fruit coming, my salvation he gets the credit, all the fruit coming through my life that glorifies God is actually Christ living in me, him producing that. I'm just bearing it, so he gets even the credit. I get blessed, I get rewarded, but he gets the glory. He gets the credit for even the good things that come through my life and yours. So he gets all the glory. Isn't this awesome? I want people need to think about that. This is unlike anything else in the universe can't lump all these religions together and say they're all similar or the same. No, they're not. One of them's different. One of them's different. How you believe is important. Don't let anyone tell you that it doesn't matter. I'm, I, I'll tell you. Years ago, when I was new here, I mentioned somebody who was in a cult he'd pray for. And there was somebody... They said, ah, they're sincere. I remember, Wayne, you and I visiting a man that was lost. And someone else in here asked us to visit. And we were talking. And someone else who went to another church came in on us. I don't know if you remember it or not. And they figured out we were trying to witness to him. And he said, oh, boys, he's okay. He's okay. Your memory's not so good, but I'll fill you in on the details later if you don't remember it. We were there. He's okay. He's nothing wrong with this guy. No, he was lost. It matters what you believe. How you believe determines how you behave. You can also believe something very sincerely. And you see this and you know it. You can be very sincere, but guess what? Be sincerely wrong at the same time. So I want people to consider Jesus. I want people to consider the truth, that he's the only way, the only truth, the only life. And when we do that, I want you to think about uh, how that he wants to transform us. And he wants to move us from where we are. See, God doesn't just want to reform you to make you a better you. See, that's what a lot of these religions in, the, in this, this mystical, new agey stuff is about, just you becoming, finding your inner power, finding your inner strength, you becoming a better you. He doesn't want to make you a better you. He doesn't want to reform you into something better. He wants to transform you into Christ-likeness. There's a difference between reform and transform, right? See, he doesn't want to just kind of you know, make your life just a better life. He wants to show you that he wants to take you from death to life because what you really were living in death and in sin, and he wants to give you true life. All right, got to finish this up. He says it this way in Romans twelve two. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That word transformed in the original language the Bible was written in is the word metamorpho. We get the word metamorphosis from that. Think of a caterpillar in the cocoon coming out as a butterfly. God wants to change you, your mind. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you believe. He rewires our brain where we're focused on different things. You know, by the way, now, now you can do MRIs and see the connectors and things change in people's brains. Somebody that's learning how to do a golf swing, those connectors in your brain that control the motor skills of all of that, they begin to get stronger. And that's why if you don't do it very often like me, then you, you can't expect to go do it and it'd be very good, right? But if you're focused on different things, whether it's drugs or whether it's sex or whether it's pornography and things like that, to try to, to hit the pleasure centers of your brain, and, and, and it begins to get those connections so strong, it begins to take over your mind. But once you let Christ take control, he begins to to rewire your brain and as you begin to resist those things and focus on his truth you see those connectors begin to get weaker and weaker and weaker that's why I'm telling you some of the habits that's had you is the process many times I mean he can miraculously change you right now but there are many times that through this verse right here he is going to go through the process of transforming your mind that's what he do enable us to be a different person so we know what God's will is. So I want people to think about that. I want people to know that. I want people to know about the ministry of Jesus. I want them to know about the good things that he did, the good things that he taught. People are so negative about Jesus. They need to know about how he taught about forgiving even your enemies. And that was talked about how that, you know, everybody talked about forgiveness in God, but nobody mentioned how God did that on TV. Yeah. Through Jesus, died on the cross to pay for our sins. How he healed, how he fed the hungry. He did all of these things. That Jesus did that. And that Jesus came to do that to show us his love. In fact, you find out when you consider Jesus, Jesus came for sinners like you. One time he was sitting with tax collectors in Luke 15. and said that, Tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They were grumbling. Someone once said, that's the gospel in a grumble right there, because you know they were griping about Jesus, but what they really said is the gospel, that this man, he receives sinners. Hallelujah, I are one. I mean, I am one, right? How about you? I'm so glad. And see, there was another time in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus was, uh, was uh, once again having dinner with a bunch of sinners. And uh, the Pharisees criticized him. And he said, when he heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, for I did not, he goes on to say, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So, no, you're not going to go to the doctor unless you know you're sick, right? And, And he didn't necessarily mean to imply, as you know the whole story, that they were perfect, right? He knew they were sick spiritually, just as sick as everybody else, but they didn't think they were. He said, I didn't come for those who are healthy or think they're healthy. I came for those who are sick and know they're sick. I didn't come to call the righteous or those who think they're righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. So I'm glad because I qualify there too. You know, there's not much debate even about Jesus' miracles. Even among that time, pretty much everybody, the chief priests, the scribes, they knew about all these things about him raising Lazarus from the dead. They They couldn't deny his miracles. They just wanted it stopped. Even with that, it wasn't enough to convince them. And you know, wow, we could talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We could talk about how he died on the cross, about the suffering and the death on the cross, of how Roman soldiers were put in charge of this process. They were not going to not do their job. This goofy idea that Jesus somehow swooned and passed out, and in the dampness of a tomb, he came back alive. That's ridiculous. I mean, that, and people would even think about that or try to believe that. Nowadays, is ridiculous that, that this is not a job they're going to mess up. And even at the end, they thrust the spear up his side and out from the heart area and the pericardium came came the blood and then the water that fills up that sack around the heart, the pericardium, and it all came as testimony that this means he had actually died. His death on the cross was witnessed by all these people. And then he was laid in the tomb, and then the tomb was empty. They put a squad of Roman soldiers who were trained killers to guard that thing. The next morning, it was open. Jesus was gone. Not only that, you have, they're not going to botch this. His disciples, they, they, they tried to cover it up, came and stole him. Really? How was that going to happen? And these Roman soldiers are still walking around. Had they failed that job, they would have been terminated, right? That's how they did things back then. Um, and so that, that there were witnesses that saw Jesus and testified later. We not only believe it, we saw him. We talked to him. Acts 3.15, Peter said to those Jews, he said, you killed the Prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. I'm not just telling you something I believe. I'm telling you something I have seen. I have touched him. I have heard him. I know he's real. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6. Paul even tells us that there was one instance that up to 500 men at one time saw the resurrected Jesus and heard him. And, and and it was Josh McDowell or somebody said if you were to line up all these as first hand not hearsay first hand eyewitness testimony in a court of law you have all and each one of them just testify for a few seconds how many hours of testimony you would have first hand eyewitness testimony the resurrection is real you need to consider that it was, it was Josh McDowell among others who set out to disprove Christianity and disprove the resurrection and in the course of it found the evidence and was changed and not only saved, but is one of the great defenders of the gospel and of the resurrection of the truth nowadays. And so this is what he did. This is is something to consider. But the last thing is consider the eternal message of Jesus that he preaches, that he teaches. Our faith is not in what we do. Our faith is in what Christ has done. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. In Romans chapter 3, the New Living Translation really captures the essence of what's being said there about having righteousness from God through faith in Christ so that God makes no difference in people. They really get the essence of what that verse is saying. Do a great job translating it. He says, Romans 3.22, we are made right with God. That's righteousness. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes has faith no matter who we are, amen? It's Christ plus nothing. It's not Christ plus good works. It's not Christ plus joining his church. It's not Christ plus being baptized. It's not Christ plus giving money. It's not Christ plus anything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. There are a lot of these things we're gonna do because Jesus is in our life. But it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing for our salvation. Difference between religion and relationship. Religion is about what I do to try to earn my way in. The relationship of the gospel is what Jesus has already done. Religion is about me and about how I feel and what I do. The relationship is about Jesus and who he is. As I said, religion is about it's spelled D-O, do Do, do. It's all about what you do. The relationship, true Christianity, is spelled D-O-N-E, done. He has already done it. Religion says, if I obey and do good deeds, maybe God will love me. Maybe I will advance to whatever's next. The relationship of the gospel, true Christianity, says, because God already loves me, now I have the ability to obey. See all the difference in the world. This is unique. There's nothing like it. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. It's done. What are you waiting for? You need to trust in what Jesus has done. Now, it's important that we understand that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, is a lie from the pit. God never said that. In fact, here's what Jesus said. After saying God loved the world so much, he sent his son, whoever believes that you would have to perish, whoever believes can have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might have life. Then he says in verse 18, he who believes in him, the son, Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe, does it matter what you believe? He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. John the Baptist is commenting on Jesus later in that chapter, in uh, verse 36. And here's what John the Baptist said. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Does it matter what you believe? It matters in this life because what you believe determines how you behave, and it's going to matter forever in the next life. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And This is why the stakes are so high, folks. We're talking about the souls, the eternal souls of men and women, boys and girls. He who does not believe, who refuses to believe, the Son shall not see life, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Don't tell me it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters everything what you believe. And so I got to ask you as we close, do you know and have faith in what you say you believe? Because if you don't, you need, to, you need to ask the questions. You need to get in the word. I mean, we offer all kinds of Bible studies and teaching and preaching. And, and you know what? Most of the world isn't interested. All right? But you need to know what you believe. You don't need to just be hanging around because this is what our family does. You need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it. Do you have faith in what you say you believe? And let me then ask you this, if it's very real or not because the next question is how much of what you say you believe do you actually live remember from last-